We are on Yavamos Peizayin Amidbeiz 87b, and we're beginning the Gemara. Again, our Mishnah began the discussion of believing one witness uh, when it comes to a situation of the witness saying that a person's husband passed away. And you will see why exactly we believe one witness. It is the Torah says that there are different ways of proving something in court. Uh, the best way to prove something is through two witnesses. When you have two witnesses, that is viewed as the best form of proof. Um, there are other ways of proving something through a majority, following a statistical majority, or following what's referred to as a chazaka, which is uh, status quo, essentially, and there's different forms of chazaka following the status quo when it comes to different legal issues. But the best form is really two witnesses. And there are very few cases where we believe one witness. And so this, our mission is one of those cases where we believe one, one witness. <coughs> Excuse me. The Gemara is going to discuss where, where do we find such an idea? Where is there precedent for this idea that we believe one witness, and the Gemara will come up with different uh, different examples where we believe one witness. Uh, and for each of these examples, it could be that we believe one witness over there because of the situation, because of that example allows us to believe one witness, but that based on the factors involved in, the, in that particular example, it wouldn't apply necessarily to our case where uh, there's testimony that a person's husband passed away. So, for example, we'll go through some of the examples in which uh, the Gemara presents as possibilities in, to prove that we believe one witness. So, one example is discussing if you have one witness, we know that a person brings a sacrifice. They bring a korban, a sacrifice, as a sin offering. If they committed a sin unintentionally, if it was bishogeg, if it was un, it was a mistake, it's, it wasn't uh, under duress, but it was a mistake. They made some sort of error. So then a person brings a sin offering. They do not bring a sin offering if it was done on purpose. Uh, and so the Gemara will suggest that uh, we know that if you have one witness who informs the person of the sin that they committed, so then they would in fact bring a sin offering. So this seems to prove that we believe one witness. We have an example where we believe one, one witness. However, uh, the Gemara will reject that because that is not exactly equivalent. The real reason why we believe that uh, we don't really believe the one witness. The one witness is telling this to the person, and ultimately, ultimately, it is coming from the person. When it comes to every sin offering, uh, the person who committed the sin is the one ultimately who has to admit that they committed the sin and that they're bringing a sin offering. After all, witnesses cannot prove whether or not it was done intentionally or unintentionally. It has to come from the person, him or herself. So it's not really based on the one witness as much as it's based on a principle called shtika kahoda, that when a person is quiet, so then and when they do not contradict the witness, they are admitting to the fact that what the witness said is correct. That is one example. There's another example that the Gemara brings where a witness is believed to say whether or not something's kosher. We know that one person, all you need is one person to, to testify that something's kosher or not kosher, um, and they are believed. However, in that case, that's also different because in our case, there's the status quo that the husband is alive, that they're married, and the witness is trying to go against the status quo. Uh, in the case of kosher versus not kosher, so that's a case where 
Um, we don't know. We just don't know. There is no status quo. So then the one witness could tell us whether or not it's kosher. But if there were to be a status quo, if there was some sort of, um, if, if, if we did know what the status was beforehand, so then we wouldn't necessarily believe that one witness. And so here too, there is a status quo that she's married and that her husband's alive. And so the, the aid, the witness is going against the status quo. There's another form of, another example where we believe one witness, which the Gemara will also get into, which are essentially cases where uh, the one witness um, essentially says that so this produce, which is no longer tevel, something that we've discussed in the past, which is no longer, uh, it's now edible because you're not you're allowed to eat it because all the gifts that are supposed to be given out to the Kohen and to the Levi and to the Ani, to the poor person, they were, they were separated already. Or when it comes to declaring something as hectish, as belonging to the base of Migdash, to the temple, so those are all cases where we believe one witness, but the reason why we believe one witness in those cases is because it is what's referred to as biyado. It is in his control to create that status. It is in his control to remove the gifts. It's in his control to dedicate something to the temple. Since it's in his control, so therefore uh, we we believe that one witness, it's sort of like he's, some explain that he's like the owner and therefore, he has a greater level of credibility <coughs> since it's in his control. Uh, so those are some of the different examples that uh, will be given in the Gemara. And ultimately, ultimately, the Gemara will say that there is no precedent for such a case of our Mishnah where we have one witness, and it's not Biado, it's not in his control to say that the husband passed away. It's not in his control. Um, there's a status quo that the husband is alive and that they're married. And so we don't really have precedent for uh, for such a case. And so therefore the Gemara is going to come on to a different idea, a different concept. How can we explain how one witness is believed when it comes to testifying about the fact that uh, the the woman's husband passed away? Okay, so begins the Gemara. The fact that the end of our mission is discussing a case where it's not with the permission of the courts. We don't need the permission of the courts in order to allow her to get married. So it must be that it's referring to two witnesses because when there's two witnesses, so you don't need to go to the court. It's not necessary to go to the court. So that the implication is that's the case of the end of the Mishnah. That means the case at the beginning of the Mishnah when it says that it's done, when it's acceptable through based and through the court, that means there's only one witness and one witness is believed. So this proves to us that one witness is believed, even though we don't really find elsewhere that one witness is believed. Here we here we say that one witness is believed. We also have a Mishnah which says, We find elsewhere also that um, in these cases, we, we also allow a, not just one witness, but one witness who didn't even see what occurred, but I heard it from somebody else who did see it, and it doesn't have to be people who are acceptable to testify. It could be a whole range of people where they hear it from, whether it's from women or from uh, slaves. Uh, they're all believed. Um, so we see that one witness is believed. And what's another case? If it's not Nami, another case is. Another case is we have, if we have one witness, as we pointed out in the introduction, one witness says that uh, the person 
violated the Torah and ate something that he's not allowed to eat. He ate chaleb, some of the forbidden fats. He ate non-kosher. And um, the person denies it. So then he doesn't have to bring a sacrifice. But the implication is only if he denies it. If he didn't deny it, so then he, he is quiet. The fact that he's quiet means that he then does have to bring a sacrifice. And it's based off of that one witness. So we see that one, one, one witness is in fact believed. So Gemara wants to know, what's the source for this? What exactly is the source? Titania, so this is the first suggestion. It's taught in the Brisa. The Brisa quotes the verse. The verse says, A person only brings a sin offering if they, they themselves admit to the sin, but not if other people tell them about it. So the Gemara says that it's not just if he admits it, but even if other people tell him about it and he keeps quiet, so then he's also he will also be obligated in bringing a sin offering. So the question is, what's the case? What exactly is the case that we're talking about when you're bringing the sin offering? If there are two witnesses and he keeps quiet after two witnesses say that he committed a sin, so you don't need the verse to tell me that he has to bring a sin offering. It's obvious. We have two witnesses. There's, there's nothing better than two witnesses. And we have those two witnesses. So rather, what we're discussing here is where there's one witness and he keeps quiet. So then we see, we know that he brings a sin offering. So this is our proof that one witness is in fact believed from this very case. The one witness says that he ate something which wasn't kosher. From the chile, from the forbidden fats. It wasn't kosher. He kept quiet. So then he has to bring a sin offering. We see that we believe the one witness. So he says, no, what are you talking about? There is no proof from there. Mimai. Maybe it's not because of the witness. Maybe it's really because he kept quiet. And the fact that he kept quiet is just reveals to us that he admits that it's true. It's not that it's coming. It's not that he brings a sin offering because we believe the one, uh, the one aid, the one witness. It's by the fact that he kept quiet. The person involved kept quiet. That reveals to us that he say, he thinks that it's really that he knows that it's really true. But it's not really coming from the witness. The witness just allows to create the situation where he, where the actual person involved keeps quiet, and that itself is the proof. And the Gemara even proves this. Tema, Teda, Degatani, Seifa, because the end, uh, the end of this brayse says as follows: What if you have two witnesses? You have two witnesses who say that a person committed a sin, and the person himself denies it. He says they said that he ate. These forbidden fats, and he says, "No, I never ate it. I never ate it." So then, there's two. This is a dispute. There are two opinions. According to the first opinion, he does not bring a sin offering. He doesn't bring a sin offering. According to the second opinion, Rameir, you do bring a sin offering. What's the logic behind Rameir? Two witnesses are believed to give somebody the death penalty. So then, certainly, two witnesses should be believed to allow somebody or to to create a situation where a person is obligated. To bring a sin offering, uh, certainly that should be the case, says the mayor. But the first opinion says no; that you're exempt. Why? Essentially, this is the way that uh, Tosos, one of the classic commentators, understands it. Essentially, when he says that I didn't eat, he has to know himself, <laughs> right? He knows himself whether he ate it intentionally or unintentionally. So when he said that I didn't eat it, so that even if you have witnesses who say that you did eat it, but in the end of the day. We don't have any proof that he ate it 
Bishogeg unintentionally, and he has to eat it unintentionally. So when he said that I didn't eat it, what he really means to be saying is that I didn't eat it unintentionally. Because he has to admit to it, and he's not admitting to it. So it's true, he's not admitting to eating it unintentionally. He says, I didn't eat it. That can be interpreted as I didn't eat it intentionally. I ate it. I, sorry, I didn't eat it unintentionally. It could be that he ate it intentionally. And so therefore, he himself, in the end of the day, he has to admit to the fact that he had it as a mistake. He ate it as a mistake, and he's not admitting to that. Um, and so that's why, according to the first opinion, he's exempt from a sin offering, because he never admitted to it. He, was, he didn't keep quiet. He never admitted to it. He, he went up against the witnesses, and he said, I didn't eat it. Perhaps means I didn't eat it unintentionally. Um, and, and so therefore, that's why, in that case... Uh, even when you have two witnesses, we say that he doesn't bring a sin offering. So my time So in the end of the day, what, so in a case where the person contradicts the witnesses and says, no, what are you talking about? I didn't eat the non-kosher. So we say the witnesses are not believed and he is believed when it comes to the sin offering. So what if he keeps quiet? What changes when he keeps quiet? What changes is not the credibility of the witnesses. That's not what changes. What changes is the fact that he kept quiet. The fact that by keeping quiet is in and of itself a proof to the fact that he admits that he ate it unintentionally. And so therefore we tell him to go ahead and bring a sin offering. Even if he doesn't admit to it outright, but because he kept quiet, it shows that he really admits to what the witnesses were saying. So, so that's when it comes to two witnesses. So the same thing will apply when there's one witness. It's not that we actually believe the one witness to say that he ate non-kosher. It's the fact that since he kept quiet, since the person who we're dealing with kept quiet, so it's like he's admitting to the fact that what the witnesses said are, is actually true. And that's really the story. So in the end of the day, we don't have a proof from this case of the sin offering that w- one witness is believed uh, to testify about whether he ate it uh, non-kosher food unintentionally because it's really coming from his, uh, from, from his, his keeping quiet, from the fact that he kept quiet he himself is admitting to the fact that it's true that he ate non-kosher food and it was unintentional and so therefore he has to bring a sin offering. So what's the source? It's a svara, it's a logical reason. We, we have cases where one witness is believed, such as, as Rashi points out, the laws of keeping kosher. The laws of keeping kosher. He says it would be an impossible world to live in. If every single time you had to know something's kosher, you always needed two witnesses. You can never, even at home, one person cooks something, and the rest of the family comes home. So you're not going to be able to eat it because you're relying on the person who cooked the food. If you're going to tell me you always need two, two witnesses, how, how could a person ever live? So there's a logical, uh, it, it, it's innate with it, within the Torah, with it, within the law system to say that one witness is has to be believed when it comes to the laws of of kashrus, of kosher, um, and of other laws that deal with uh, identifying a certain uh, status of uh, whether a woman is in nida, uh, laws of impurity, laws of purity, and other areas of halacha, whether by shechita, whether the shechita was done properly, the slaughtering of an animal was done properly. All of this, the world cannot exist unless you believe that one person. Otherwise, it would be too difficult of a, of a world to navigate. Um, and so therefore we believe a person to say whether something's kosher or not. So the Gemara says, whoa, slow down. Uh, who said that we could compare the cases? The Gemara says, no. 
<coughs> when, when we say that one witness is believed to say something's kosher, that's when we never had any status quo otherwise. We didn't know anything otherwise. If you don't know anything otherwise, fine. We could believe one witness. In our case of our Mishnah, we know that, the, that they were married, the husband was alive. This one witness now wants to undo all those assumptions. All, everything that we've known until now, that who says... We cannot bring a proof from there by the laws of kashras, by the laws of kosher. We cannot bring a proof to the fact that, that one witness is sufficient. Halodamia should only be comparable to The only thing that we could compare this to is really is if if you want to discuss this in the in the, in the context of kashras and laws of kosher is when we already had a status quo that something is for sure chelav, something is forbidden. Certain forbidden fats, and one witness wants to come along and say that no, really, it's you're allowed to eat it. We won't believe him. We won't believe him in that case. And so that's what our case is comparable to. So Gemara says, wait a minute, no, what are you talking about? Maybe in 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 that case, when we don't believe the one witness, when when we already assumed that it wasn't kosher, in that case, happens to be that even if you bring Two witnesses, not just one witness, we're not going to believe them. Because you already have two witnesses that say that it wasn't kosher. So for them to have two witnesses to say that it's kosher, we're not going to, we're not going to believe them. It'll be two against two. It's not, they don't override the first pair. Over here, at least by us, when you have two witnesses to say that he died, so then that's not contradicting any previous witness. All, all that we knew beforehand was that he was alive at a certain point in time. We had witnesses that he was alive, but that could change. That's something which could easily change. If we had two witnesses in our mission to say that he died, everybody would agree that we believe those two witnesses. The whole question is just about uh, one. Is just about one witness. Okay, so that is uh, that is what the Gemara says. So the Gemara now tries to bring um, other cases, as we pointed out before. So maybe we could bring compare our mission to other cases. Maybe by all these other cases where um, we did originally assume. Um, in all these other cases, uh, that there was a, there was some issue that it wasn't kosher, and now it becomes uh, permissible to eat, like tevel, the, the produce where um, originally you're not allowed to eat it because you didn't take all separate all the gifts that's supposed to be given to the coin and levy and the poor, and then you do separate it. Maybe we can we believe the one witness to say that it, you're now allowed to, you are now allowed uh, to eat it. Uh, so maybe maybe we could bring a proof from these cases. When it comes to Tevel, the truth is, is that you're only believed as one witness to say that you solved the, you, you, you took off, that all, all the gifts were separated. You're only believed because you, it's un, it's in your control. You could go ahead and do it right now. We believe you because you could do it right now. So we assume that you did it earlier. It's all in your control. <coughs> you are you are in charge of this, even according to some opinions where you're allowed to separate the gifts for somebody else. It's also in your control. If it's not, if you're not allowed to do it, it's not in your control. And who said that you're believed? Uh, but when it's in your control, so then we say that you're believed. The same thing is true for the other examples. Hectish. Nami, when it, also when it comes to uh, designating something for the temple,
And when something is hectic, when something is designated for the base of Migdash, you're not allowed to use it for anything else. This witness now comes along and says that, no, it was redeemed and you could use it for something else. We only believe that one witness when he has the ability to redeem this. If it's, uh, let's say, not a, a sacrifice, but it's just something which was designated for the temple to be used as part of the uh, the building or for the service itself, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> but it's not an actual sacrifice. And all, in those cases, it's uh, it's potentially in your control. The only time we should believe a w- one witness is if it's in their control to redeem it. If it's in their control to redeem it, and to say that you know what, it no longer has the sanctity of something which is designated for the temple. So then we'll believe them. It's referred to as biado when it's in your control. The laws are the, the rules are different. You are believed as an individual, and finally, so true, so too with konamos. Konamos is basically a form of a saying something uh, is not uh, you can't get benefit from. There's a dispute if if it becomes designated for the temple or not for the base of mikdash. So too with Konamos, it depends. If it's something which is has the status of Kedusha, of holiness, so then um, it uh, you have the ability to redeem it. And if not, if it's just a, a regular neder, a regular vow that you're not going to get any benefit from, so it really depends if it's in your control to undo that. If it's in your control to undo that, again, it's because it's in your control. That's why the, the person is believed. But otherwise, they're not believed. And that's the whole point of the Gemara. Essentially, the, the Gemara is left with the question. We'll answer the question in the next recording. But the Gemara is left with the question, why should you believe, be believed in our Mishnah? In the end of the day, all we have precedent for is when you have one witness when it comes to sacrificial offerings of a sin offering. But it's not based on that one witness. It's based on the person who committed the sin, admitting to it by keeping quiet. Or it's based on one witness, but we only believe one witness when it comes to kosher, when there's no status quo otherwise. In our case... There is a status quo otherwise because the husband was alive. Or perhaps we believe one witness when it's biyado, when it's in his control, when it's his con- in his control to change the state. So then we believe them because they're involved and it's like it's theirs. They have a higher level of credibility when it's in their control. Okay, that concludes this Gemara. We'll see the answer to this question. What is this idea? What is the source that one witness is believed in our Mishnah? We'll see that in the next recording.